I didn't go to him, Juliet. I didn't go to Lorenzo. His eyes were so full of trust. I promised I'd meet him to run away together because my parents don't approve. But instead, I left him waiting for me below our tree, waiting and wondering where I was. Welcome to the graveyard slot where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more hype or if they should stay buried. I'm Sohini. And I'm Sarah. And today, we're talking about Letters to Juliet. Letters to Juliet follows aspiring writer Sophie, no last name, (laughs) (laughs) as she discovers the secretaries of Juliet and goes on a journey to reunite two long-lost lovers. This movie was released in 2010, directed by Gary Winnick, who did Bride Wars, 13 Going on 30, and Charlotte's Web, and written by Jose Rivera and Tim Selvin. The biggest significance the team behind this movie has, I think, is their proven skill in crafting an engaging story in their past work. And the absence of that talent in this particular movie? Harsh, maybe? And telling of my opinion of this movie, but true, no matter how biased. I can't disagree with you there. I was actually really surprised to learn that one of the writers from this movie won an Oscar for his work. Yeah. And all I could think was... Where were you during this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We chose to discuss this movie today because it was one that we both enjoyed in the past. And I guess we just wanted to see if it still holds up or if our opinions have changed. In general, the opinion isn't too favorable. It's got a 42% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. There was one review from the New York Post (laughs) that said, the story is as straight and obvious as raw spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) And another from the Daily Telegraph UK that I think summarizes the movie really well. It reads, both exasperatingly vapid and easy to sit through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how easy it is to sit through exactly. (laughs) The review that I found was from Variety, and it reads, Jose Rivera and Tim Sullivan's script relentlessly piles on goopy conversation stoppers like, do you believe in destiny? And I didn't know that true love had an ex- (laughs) I can't even get through it. (laughs) I didn't know that true love had an expiration date. It also reads, Pick's bouncy score is ever-present while scenic Tuscan drives border on the superficially picturesque. And that's also one of my biggest problems with this movie, how they portray the setting. It doesn't seem like they treat it as an actual town or, you know, the culture that's there as an actual people. It's just set dressing. Literally, even the people that they meet are set dressing. And it just borders on offensive. I mean, I'm not saying like it is offensive. I'm saying that all I got from this movie were cardboard cutouts and I think that's crappy enough and they could have done so many fun background things because they've got this culturally rich setting and they don't do anything with it it's just there to look pretty which maybe is just the entire movie honestly true they do the same thing with the actors too I think they've got a pretty solid cast but they can't really make much use of them either yeah What was your personal experience with this movie? I definitely didn't have as strong a negative feeling about it back when I was much younger as I do now. (laughs) It was a fun movie, but once I gave it some thought, I realized that 
the movie has not given itself enough thought <laughs> when I'm trying to find some meaning behind it. I feel like I'm doing more hard work yeah. than the makers of the movie did. For sure. What about you? Yeah, I also watched it when I was pretty young. I think around the time it came out. And I really loved it, actually. I remember watching it multiple times, but nothing stuck with me when I was doing this rewatch. I couldn't remember a single plot point. But I think that's what this movie is. What I realized as I'm looking back at my experience is that this movie has the same perspective on life and relationships as preteen me did. Hmm. And a movie about romance and love should say more about it than this. I guess my thing is like, their perspective is wrong. I don't like what they say in this movie. <laughs> if they say anything at all. Yeah, it's just all very shallow. And it's like, what's the point? Yeah. I think that's a great observation, actually. It's just, it's too insubstantial. It's too yeah. idealistic. And I guess you could argue that it doesn't have to be realistic because movies can be a source of escapism. They can be a place where your ideals come to life. But even with the idealistic stance it takes, it's not convincing. It's very superficial. But let's actually rag on this movie in more detail. That's why we're here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll be discussing this movie as usual chronologically and why don't you start us off so we begin with a montage of lovers through the ages and as a concept i think it's quite sweet but i counted i think 19 <laughs> pictures including one of birds before we saw people of color and i think <laughs> if anything exemplifies the amount of diversity in this film it's this very first montage. So, you know, at least they set the bar <laughs> at a certain level pretty early on. <laughs> and they don't disappoint because we already know what to expect. Some of them are like Greek statues and paintings mm -hmm. and whatnot. And like, they're all straight couples. And if you were to find any art featuring same-sex couples, it's gotta be <laughs> those exact art pieces. That's why they had to slip the birds and the fish in, because they couldn't find any more. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that struck me in that opening sequence is the song, So of Its Time. And like the review that I found said, the score is ever-present. Every single time they cue up a song, it's so in your face. Every single choice is always the obvious choice. There's no subtlety to it at all. And yeah, it's like every aspect of this movie fails at even attempting to do something creative and genuine. It's almost as if the music is its own ominous presence in the movie yeah but yeah we move on to the actual characters the first of whom is our main character sophie we're introduced to her as she's working she's a fact checker and she's just walking around new york as she's doing her job and it's like do you not have an office <laughs> The funny thing is, she's on the phone with other people. So like, it would make sense if she's actually visiting certain people that she's trying to get information from. Yeah. Except that she's not. There's a line where she's on the phone with the guy who actually is in the picture. Where she goes, yeah, I'm at Times Square, right where the picture was taken. And I'm like, that was never necessary. Like, I can't imagine that the guy was like, I will only tell you <laughs> if you are at Times Square. <laughs> Yeah, why is she there? It was a strange introduction, in my opinion. 
the thing that stuck out to me about this whole opener is that they hold this V-Day picture up on a pedestal as like the ideal love story, right? Oh, yeah. And as we're watching, you pointed out that we've since found out that they weren't actually a couple and he just kind of kissed her out of nowhere and it's, you know, a little invasive. (laughs) But they made a point of highlighting that it was a spur of the moment thing, that it was spontaneous and that's why it's romantic. And they say that it's something along the lines of an expression of real romance or love or whatever and I'm like well, hold on a second you got to that conclusion from they're not actually a couple like isn't that the opposite conclusion <laughs> the fact that they don't have any previous relationship is what makes her think it's romantic and I think that shows the disconnect in this movie and you know it's the stance that it's taking perceived romance versus the reality of love something shallow and for show and only picturesque in make-believe instead of a deep well of affection i think it shows really clearly what they are you know holding up to us the audience as real love and what we're supposed to think of for the rest of the movie Mm -hmm. even if the girl and the guy's like it's v-day let's celebrate with a kiss and it's a fun picture it's still not like (laughs) this is true love it's like no it's just you know it's two people having fun but it's not the conclusion that she ends up so like even at that point i'm like huh that was a weird conclusion (laughs) yeah the boss says something along the lines of i guess everyone wants to believe in true love And I think it would have been interesting if they made a film like this that looks so dreamy and romantic, but it exposes the realities behind the concept of true love Mm -hmm. rather than the fairy tale they're trying to sell us. Yeah, it could be that like, you know, she has this whole trip, she has new revelations about love and romance and whatnot. Mm -hmm. We also find out that Sophie is getting married soon and she's going on a pre-honeymoon with her fiance, who is a chef. And we meet him when he's in his kitchen and he's not packed for their trip and Sophie has to remind him. And all this time, he's picking up bits and pieces of food to show her and share with her and whatnot. It's clear from the beginning, or maybe it's clear because I've seen the movie before, but, you know, Victor's not the guy she's supposed to end up with. And he's gonna be, you know, painted as the bad guy. But at this point, I just see him as a passionate guy who likes to share his interests with his partner. And she's, like, not even engaging in that at all. And I understand, like, this is probably, like, a pattern. Exactly. It's always been a thing where she has to be that nagging partner. But even when she brings up the trip, he sounds very excited. It sounds like he's just, like in the zone and he's a little scatterbrained at least so far and we this is the only scene we've seen him in i don't think it's supposed to be a negative thing that he hasn't packed i think it's more that this is a recurring thing where he forgets everything but his passion for food and he'll prioritize that passion over everything even their holiday it's a pattern that we see throughout the movie as well because it's always food over everything even when she's trying to tell him things or she's trying to have a simple conversation he's distracted by food (laughs) (laughs) to a comical extent i would say (laughs) so i think it's just showing from the get-go that he's got his priorities in life and sophia's not 
at the top of the list, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe it would have worked better for me at least as an introductory scene. If he's not in his kitchen, I'm like, I understand why his mind is on the food because mm-hmm. he's at work. No, that does make sense. If you're at work, you're gonna focus on work. But they go on their trip to Verona. Yeah, so we find out that Victor has arranged a tour of his suppliers while they're in Verona, and it's less than Sophie's ideal holiday, but she. Tags along. Yeah, you know, it's kind of disheartening because, like you said, it's not what Sylvie wants to be doing. But <laughs> I'm kind of with Victor. <laughs> he says, like, there's the oldest vineyards around and that's romantic. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that is romantic. <laughs> so it also happens to benefit his business. Two birds, one stone. I don't know. To me, it almost came off as I pulled all of these strings. Like, Victor should date me. <laughs> Yeah, it seems you have more in common with him than Sophie. As they're visiting, he's speaking Italian the whole time. And that part, I understand it can be a little isolating, but actually in every scene, Victor is always trying to involve her in the conversation. So to me, it comes off as more of Sophie not being supportive of his passions instead of the other way around. Especially when she says the thing about like, I'm not gonna drive... 120 kilometers away to see a mushroom. Like, I think it's pretty dismissive of what's important to Victor. She could have said that she just wants to do something else without downplaying his interests. I don't think he's perfect in all of this. I just don't think he's like that bad of a guy. (laughs) I think we have slightly different stances on this. I think it's the intention behind the action, not the action itself. This is not a business trip. They're there on a holiday, they're supposed to be spending time together. And that means they should be doing something that they both enjoy. And Sophie is clearly not having as much fun as he is. It's true, that's not a reason to dismiss his interests, but he's not there for the date. He's there to buy things for his restaurant. And that's not fair to Sophie, in my opinion. I agree with you in that, like, he should be more you know, aware of what she would enjoy and the fact that she's not enjoying this, you know. I think that is part of his fault. I don't think it's that he puts finding suppliers above Sophie. I think it's just, like, equal. I think he's just more, like, more of a practical guy. He's like, two birds, one stone. We're here, we're gonna have fun, and we're gonna (laughs) get suppliers to our business. That's how I see it. But I understand that the movie doesn't want us to see it that way. I don't think in his mind, food and Sophie are equal at all. I think that's evident enough in his actions throughout the movie. I think that it's not either, like uh, in a more general sense. I don't think he shows enough care for Sophie. I agree on that aspect. They decide to split up and each take a day for themselves to go visit their different destinations. And Sophie goes off on her own and finds Juliet's house. And it's all these women crying for some reason (laughs) as they write letters and stick it on the wall. It's all just so over the top. It's a weird scene. I don't like it. Yeah, it's a shame because this is a movie about love, but the depiction of heartbreak has absolutely no nuance. It's just, like you said, a bunch of women bawling and it 
just makes them seem cartoonish and I don't think it evokes any type of emotion in the viewer. And where are the men? I'm so confused. Apparently, the men in this universe are just fine. They have no struggles in love. But soon we meet the secretaries of Juliet because Sophie follows one of them <laughs> when they collect all the letters and head over to, um, I guess, their headquarters. <laughs> you make those sound like spies. <laughs> <laughs> we get to meet around four to five women, I think. Mm -hmm. I do like that. Each of Juliet's secretary has like relevant experience and expertise. However, it just highlights further how abrupt it is the way Sophie is then admitted to their ranks. What are her qualifications? How do they know she can write? She has a notebook. <laughs> yeah, that is all they see. How do they know she can write in Juliet's voice even? How do they know she has the expertise in love and relationships? It's just so weird. And I wish we had just seen her ask these women questions, like really insightful questions where the women are like, she has a certain perspective, you know, based on the questions that she's asking. If they have a day of getting to know each other, then I would buy one of them going like, have you ever thought about, you know, answering one of these letters or whatever? Yeah, it would have been much more believable if they had a little more time to get to know each other. But Sophie does end up declining their offer for dinner. And I think this is where we see that she prioritizes her time with Victor over her potential interests because she could have stayed on with the secretaries, but okay. she decides to head back to the hotel. Whereas what we've seen of Victor so far is he prioritizes his work over Sophie. So I think this is where there's that disconnect in their relationship. I wish Sophie would say something. I'm saying this is a bad relationship. <laughs> I actually would have been interested to see how Victor would have reacted if Sophie had said outright that she was unhappy with how things were going. To me, he just seems like a very disingenuous person because even when he's supposedly asking for her opinion, he's already decided. I feel like even if she had articulated what she was thinking, he wouldn't have listened. <laughs> Their relationship needs work obviously yeah i think he is written to be that way where he's he's not actually asking her he doesn't care if she actually will say yes or no we see this disconnect between them even more back at the hotel we get the scene where sophie's trying to tell him about the day that she had and he quickly gets distracted by this packet of food that sophie has brought along with her yeah he doesn't really put any effort into listening to what she's got to say yeah, and to me, it's just frustrating that he expects to be able to share his passion for food with Sophie, but he doesn't extend the same courtesy to her. To me, it comes off as selfish because you talk about food all the time. Just for once, let her talk about what she loves to do. I didn't really hate him that much in that scene either. <laughs> I just thought he was easily distracted. I think it would have helped if they had more scenes where Sophie is trying to share her interests with him and he repeatedly dismisses it or ignores it or whatever. This is kind of the only time that she's tried. I understand because like obviously that's what the scene is supposed to do to show you that he's always done this. It's just that I don't think they did a good enough job at actually cementing that because we're just supposed to believe the movie. You know what I'm saying? The thing is there are moments where she's like, oh, I thought we were going to go to this place and that place. And it's like some of them are like her interests. And I'm like, if they had done everything that she said, wouldn't they be going to places where it's all her interests? Like, it would be the same thing, except the other way around. 
it's like the movie is framing like the itinerary Sophie has in mind is the good thing, right? But maybe Italian tourism for Victor is like all of these culinary like destinations. I don't think the movie is necessarily depicting Sophie's choices as the right ones. It's more that they should be spending time together. Together, yeah. Well, they're already spending time together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but doing something that's not business, doing something that's a holiday. Surely there are more holiday-ish culinary things to do than visiting suppliers. To me, it's not that, oh, while we're here, I'm going to visit my suppliers. It's more like, I'm going to visit my suppliers. And since you're here, come along. Yeah, I think, again, it's like, I think that that is a holiday thing. It's my thing. They're just not on the same page. That's, if you want to have that kind of holiday, fine, but they need to be on the same page. I think the problem is that they're not on the same page. Not that Victor is particularly neglectful or anything. And this is a prime example, I think, with my problem with Sophie as a character in the relationship. They have a scene where Sophie's talking to one of the secretaries and she's talking about how she's engaged but she doesn't have a ring. And they're making it out to be like Victor's neglectful and whatever, not even getting her a ring. But she says that she's made it clear that she doesn't want one. If she didn't express wanting one, then it's not his fault. It's this like expectation that everyone has the same standard of romance. And that's not true. Like I think the vineyard thing is romantic. People in this movie don't. Everyone has different things. With the ring thing, they're trying a little bit too hard to make him into the villain, but I think he does a good enough job on his own. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, He his whole like practical approach to a relationship seemed fine to me. <laughs> if Sophie actually wanted it, it's the problem that Sophie didn't want it. I guess... That's the difference is if you view it as practical or if you view it as cutting corners. This guy just needs to find someone who is similar to him, you know? And that person isn't Sophie. Actually, I wonder what Sophie and Victor even have in common because they always seem to be talking at each other, not with each other. And my theory is that Victor is just with Sophie because her hair reminds him of spaghetti that he's so passionate about because it's also straight and yellow and limp. (laughs) Ah, yes, your first absurd conclusion. Yes, that is what I take away from this movie. Yeah. But um, Sophie goes back to the Secretaries of Juliet because Victor's doing his own thing now. So she spends the day with the secretaries and find this letter that's kind of lodged in the (laughs) wall behind a brick. And it's really old from like the 50s and she reads it out to the secretaries. They make up a future for the person who wrote this letter, Claire, and they dream up that she married a duke but every time she like sleeps with him she's thinking of her first love, Lorenzo. (laughs) And I'm just like, poor guy! Again, I I think it's such a skewed perspective on love and relationships. The movie just idealizes that concept of the one true love and your ideal soulmate. And it's almost like you can't grow up and change as a person and leave your past behind and fall in love again. It's very black and white, straightforward, not at all true to the complexity of life. That's definitely something I see in this movie as well. But in this moment, especially what bugged me is that it's clear that their perspective is that it's okay to be selfish and to hurt people as long as it's in the name of love like it's this whole like romantic love trumps all and it's just like a very selfish take i think yes i'm with you on that one 
So Sophie decides to write back to Claire and might I add, she takes an absolute eternity to do it because we see them all working together initially, but one by one, all the secretaries finish their work and leave. She's working on one letter and everyone's done like a whole pile. The only reason they let her answer that letter is that they know it's never going to get back to the person because <laughs> it's so old. They're like, let's humor this weird American girl. She won't leave us alone. But she sends off this letter and this person shows up at their office and it turns out to be Claire's grandson Charlie and immediately he's very annoyed by the whole thing and I have to say I'm actually on Charlie's side with this one there's that line that you cited earlier on where Sophie says I didn't know true love had an expiration date and that line made me cringe so much I don't think she has enough information to be calling it true love and I think Charlie is a lot more realistic than Sophie and the stance that he takes is demonized because pretty much every single character makes fun of him but I think he's the only grounding force at least initially against this extreme idealism yeah he, he should be like more of a straight man than he ends up being i'm with charlie i think he's warranted in his anger at someone putting his grandmother through all this emotional havoc because it's all coming from a place of care and worry and sophie is so idealistic to the point of ignorance that it's kind of hard to stomach exactly he questions her point blank about did you think what would happen if Lorenzo doesn't remember her, doesn't want to see her, or even if he's dead? And she has nothing to say in return. She doesn't think about the reality behind her actions. It's careless. Charlie's completely right. And he's actually not against romance or whatever. He's just against this naive and reckless thing Sophie's done and dragged Claire into. And he's worried about Claire possibly getting her heart broken with whatever she finds in her search for Lorenzo. Exactly. I really liked that every time they thought they might have a breakthrough, Charlie was actually really supportive. Yeah, he's not cynical or anything. You can tell pretty much from the beginning that he's driven by concern and love for his grandmother. So he confronts Sophie and leaves and Sophie's reaction is to follow him because she wants <laughs> to meet Claire. And I like how Sophie said in the beginning of the movie that being a fact checker is kind of like being a detective and her signature move is just to follow people around. <laughs> to walk around the city. <laughs> and so she follows Charlie to Claire and I like the dynamic that's immediately established between Claire and Charlie. I think it's quite fun. It's my favorite part of the movie. And it's very believable. Later on, we find out that Claire raised Charlie because he lost his parents. And it's actually really apparent in the way they talk to each other. Even like their wit is very similar. <laughs> it almost seems like Claire is taking a little bit of pleasure in the fact that Charlie is so against this. That was quite funny to me. And despite Charlie's wishes, they decide to have dinner together and Claire tells them more about her story with Lorenzo. Claire mentions that what she wants to do now is apologize to Lorenzo because back when they met, they had the intention of running away together, but she left without saying anything to him. So I actually really like that at this point, I don't think she has any grand ideas of ending up with the man. She just wants to make up 
for what she did. And I think the story might have been more digestible if that's how it had ended, with just her making amends and maybe forming a friendship with him. And if she had clarified that whatever she felt at the time has turned into love over time. And it might not even be real because she's in love with the idea of a person rather than who he is. Yeah, it's the possibility of the life she could have had with Lorenzo, right? Yeah, these emotions that she has, it's not even for who he is now because obviously over 50 years, they have both changed so much. I don't really have a problem with how it ends in the movie. Like, I like the whole finding love again in your later years. Sure. I liked it for that reason, but when you bring up the alternative, that actually makes for a better story and a better arc for Claire. I also would have been happy for Claire to find love again. For me, it just would have had to be her falling in love once more with the person that Lorenzo is now. Also, like, there's no arc for Claire with the way things play out. She's right where she started. She's so infatuated with this Lorenzo guy. She doesn't go into it expecting to fall in love with Lorenzo again or, like, to find that same man or whatever. And it just so happens that she does. Except that we don't actually get a scene where she apologizes and they have a long talk. They don't follow through on that thread of Claire's actual mission because they get sidetracked by this idea of love. They're like, oh, no, 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 it's, it's good enough because they end up together anyway. And I'm like, that wasn't the point of Claire's mission. Exactly. When Sophie realizes that they're trying to find Lorenzo, she offers her help and makes a deal with them that she gets to write about their story. And she has the time to do this because Victor... He ends up going to this wine auction in a different town. The scene where he's about to tell her that he is going to go to this wine auction, I think he comes across as a little manipulative. He's about to start saying his own thing, but then he pulls himself back and he's like, oh, sorry, sorry, you go first. And at first I was thinking, oh, okay, maybe he's realized that he's been taking over the conversation a little and he's going to step back and let Sophie talk. But then again, he doesn't really listen to what she's saying and... I think he only lets her speak first because he knows he's going to tell her his decision that she won't like. And it's also his tendency to guilt trip her a little bit and tell her, you know, these are really exclusive. I didn't think I'd be able to get in. And if you say I won't do it, but I really, I would really, really want to. And who would say no to something like that? I actually agree with you. I didn't like him that scene either. The stuff where he's expressing the significance of this wine auction, I think that those are actually valid points, but not in this context. I'm actually with you in this one. We get this shot after... Victor has left of Sophie alone on the hotel balcony. And it's a nice parallel to Juliet's scene because here Sophie's all alone. And it's also where we saw Victor standing earlier when Sophie was sightseeing and she came back and he waved at her from the balcony. And maybe it's an indication that she's thinking of him. But Sophie ends up joining Charlie and Claire in their search for Lorenzo. We get the scene while they're on the road trip and I guess they're taking a break. And I really like the tableau in this scene. I think it shows their contrasting viewpoints. Sophie and Charlie are sitting on a picnic bench and they're at slightly different levels. And Sophie is facing Claire and Charlie's got his back turned. And we also learn that Sophie's mom left her when she was young. 
Sophie says something like, oh, it's okay. It was a long time ago. But then we get the silence. And I think this is one of the rare moments of subtlety in the movie. Even though Sophie's saying that she's fine, you can tell from her mannerisms that she's not okay. And this sensitivity to this issue is brought up again later on. So it's a continuing thread, not something that's just sprung on the audience. So I, I quite liked that scene. Yeah, I think the actor does a good enough job as well with what she's given. She's not bad in this movie. It's just that the movie is bad. <laughs> they visit a few people and, you know, finding Lorenzo's. And there's this line where Charlie's like, what happens when we knock on the door and his wife shows up? I don't think it's the stance of any of the specific characters exactly, but I think it is the stance of the movie that you can only have one true love or one significant love or whatever. And it is so juvenile. People have long, complicated lives, and love isn't a black and white thing, and it's a kid's perspective on what love and relationship should be. Yeah, you find that one person and you stay with them forever, and they're your one true love. It's a very simplistic perspective. But Charlie's all but ready to give up, but Sophie comes up with this plan to search up every Lorenzo Bartolini in their locality and they start visiting these Lorenzos one by one. Yeah, and there are 74 Lorenzos around. Which is surprisingly low, low yeah. to me. <laughs> they were like, oh my god, it's so many. And I'm like, dude, you're lucky. <laughs> they show a little bit of hijinks and comedic moments throughout their search, but I don't think they made the most of that opportunity. And, you know, I saw some reviews that pointed that out as well, where like, this is a movie that could so easily become like a comedic feat. And again, that's the whole thing with this movie, right? They never made any effort to reach new heights or whatever. But the thing that I did like in the sequence is the three's dynamic. And especially like Charlie throughout this whole journey is so self-aware. And he's not actually obnoxious. He just has an issue with this venture specifically. But Sophie calls Charlie out at one point when they're all having dinner together. And I don't think I actually agree with what she's saying at all like charlie hasn't actually been an elitist prick at least or maybe he has but not to sophie they're on the same level when it comes to elitist prickism <laughs> <laughs> that is the official term again it's this movie wanting to portray him as a specific kind of guy and failing to do that it's like you just made him a normal guy <laughs> he's a decent enough guy he's nice enough it's like the writers are so shitty that they can't even write a shitty guy. It's just that Sophie doesn't like that he doesn't see things the same way she does. That he expressed his misgivings and worries. Sophie's the one who couldn't accept any possible negative consequences for her unshakable belief in quote-unquote true love. Or how other people might feel about the effects her actions have, you know, sending the letter that she did. It's more about her and her say insecurities or her issues and whatnot than it is about Charlie. It's almost like Sophie has this preconceived notion of Charlie and even if he won't fit into that box, she's going to cram him in no matter what. My issue is that everything Charlie is saying, well, not everything, he does insult her intellect a little, but a lot of what Charlie is saying has to do with the situation at hand and I completely agree with him that it's kind of a misguided journey that has the potential to not end well. But everything that Sophie says about Charlie is just an insult to his character, and it's just not really fair. 
And you're right. I guess the writers did such a poor job at writing a bad character that they made a good character. (laughs) And I can see where Charlie's coming from. He once again expresses his worries about how this thing could go downhill. But all Sophie says in response is that, don't worry, I have a good feeling about this. And Charlie's worries are right because they keep hitting dead ends and Claire gets so sad. The argument that Sophie should be making is that it's worth it and valuable to go on the search in the first place, that Claire needs this closure no matter what they find at the end, and not just her certainty of a happy ending that isn't all that probable anyway. Like, there is an argument that Sophie can make. It's just that that's not what she's fighting for. You're right. Even if they don't end up finding Lorenzo, at least Claire has the closure that she gave it a try, and that can also be enough. This would have been a really interesting conversation between them, where he's more of a destination kind of guy, right? He's like, it's not worth it to go through something like this when it will break your heart. And it it lines up with what his character is supposed to be, you know? He's supposed to be this guy who doesn't believe in happy endings, who's been hurt in the past by loss and grief, and he would rather not try in the first place and not get hurt and Sophie could be the opposing argument where she's like no the value is in the trying and not in the happy ending and that would have been a really interesting conversation but that's not what they do in this movie and it's so mind-boggling to me because it's so the obvious thing you would do in this movie but but they don't do it it's so dumb yeah it's such a missed opportunity but one of the worst possibilities actually happens they find Lorenzo's grave and Charlie is very upset with Sophie because obviously Claire is very saddened by this. I want to say that the fight between Sophie and Charlie doesn't land for me just because like they're not real characters. I don't feel for any of them. Maybe the real issue here is that these characters are so bland. There isn't much depth to any of them. Sophie, for one, is so mild and middle of the road. If they made her even more of someone who got caught up and swept up in this excitement and dream of true love and all that, I think it would be a little more interesting. And a very easy way to do that is making Sophie have an almost obsessive need to continue the search where her life is turning out to not be what she wanted. She has a job she doesn't like. She has a fiance she's not happy with. And the search is the one thing making her feel alive, right? now and validating her dreams of a lofty romance and she's putting all her happiness and hopes into it and obviously they kind of imply that but not really they don't really do anything with that they only ever really explore the very surface level meaning of this search for lorenzo they should have made it a road trip movie with these three very different people each of whom have very different experiences and beliefs when it comes to love and each grow and come to new revelations about themselves throughout the journey like so many possibilities I really like your idea. I think that would have been a lot more interesting if they had intensified Sophie's desire to give Claire that happy ending that I guess she also wants for herself. Exactly. Like she's she's deluded herself into thinking this is her story, you know. And once again, if Claire's story had ended a little bit differently with her finding Lorenzo, but not having that romantic flame revived i think that would have influenced sophie's character growth quite nicely as well yeah like that's the lesson for her as well 
And, you know, Sophie doesn't really think about what her actions mean to Claire and to Charlie and how it affects them. And if there was this whole thread about her almost, like, using them as tools just to get, like, this story or whatever. Maybe not, like, in a mean way. She's not manipulating them. But Charlie reminds her that these are real people. It's not just a story for you to write and that's why it's important that you realize that there are consequences to your actions all that to say the scene with the fight doesn't work for me i actually like it i okay let's not get carried away (laughs) (laughs) i actually didn't mind it i thought it was okay for what it is because sometimes especially in movies like this with so little substance the moments of conflict can come across as really manufactured and they're trying too hard to have some sort of conflict because it's established that charlie is so close with his grandmother he cares about her so much i can understand his reaction and so it just feels very real and human to me but it's like you said he keeps accusing sophie of using them for her writing almost like he suspects her of manipulating the events so that her story is going to work out and actually would have been an interesting turn of events if that is what had happened and i agree with you i think it would have given sophie more character yeah and it's not like she has to do it actively maybe she like doesn't even realize that she's doing it it wouldn't even be that far off from what we already have in this movie so Charlie says something mid-argument that upsets Sophie. He says that she doesn't know what real loss is like, and of course she does. So in the next scene, we get this quite touching moment where Claire comforts Sophie. It's like a motherly moment, and we know that Sophie has been missing that in her life. I also really love the way that scene is shot. The lighting is really nice and the way it's set up, the way it's framed, it's just a really lovely scene and it shows potential for the movie. It's further exploration of the dynamics between these three, right? And again, I really do believe that's where the movie is strongest. I think this is a great, you know, example of that. Yeah, and I really liked the setting for this scene as well because uh, Sophie sat at a dressing table and Claire sits on the bed behind her and I wish they had used the dressing table mirror a little bit more because Claire asks her if she's doing okay and if Sophie had had that discrepancy between turning away but then looking at her in the mirror I think that would have emphasized the subtext a little bit more and it's like it could have been a whole like she's a younger version of Claire like you know you know if that had been true and Charlie is equated to his grandfather because Claire is like he's so much like his grandfather so that would mean that when Sophie and Charlie get together she regrets it 50 years later and goes to find her one true love (laughs) (laughs) she's like I should have known all those vineyards you took me to that were so romantic I think that's the second conclusion of the story is that Victor is the real true love there's a line by charlie the next day where claire is trying to convince him to apologize to sophie and she's like guiding him through it and he's like yes grand i'm not 12 and i (laughs) really liked it it's just like all of these little moments where it's clear that this is the woman who raised him i just really loved it yes same Sophie is satisfied with Charlie's apology and the two actually end up having a moment together in the next scene. They have a moment where they quote Shakespeare. 
Yeah. <laughs> they're looking up at the stars and they're bonding, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, nothing like quoting Hamlet to bring you closer in a relationship. I also quote Hamlet with people that I'm bonding with. <laughs> <laughs> to all the boys I've quoted Hamlet with. <laughs> but Charlie goes on to tell her that he's actually having kind of a good time and that he's actually not ready for it to end. And he says that it's like when he was a schoolboy and he doesn't want to go back to school. And Sophie says, and I always liked school. And, you know, she's agreeing with him. And, okay, you hate this line, don't you? <laughs> mm, I read it a different way. I read it as, I always liked school, so, like, I'm fine with going back. <laughs> Okay, well, I really liked that line. I read it as like, exactly, like I always liked school and yet, I, like I didn't expect to feel this way, you know? I can see that too. But if the rest of the writing isn't so bad, it could be this really weighty moment, not just about staying in Verona. It would be a perfect opportunity for Sophie to look at her life and see that she's not happy with it and maybe even how her dreams are actually not that great either. This fabricated idea of romance, the thing she had always held up on a pedestal that she's always admired and liked, is no longer perfect and shiny in what she thought it was. Just the saying is already indicating that suddenly something's changed, your perspective has shifted. I absolutely love that line, except that the writing is really horrendous and it, it doesn't lend the same meaning. In the scene, of course, it is nothing but a prelude to kissing. So, you know, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's a lot of underused potential in this scene. I like that, unlike that first scene where they were seated at different levels, here in this scene, they're together on the ground looking up at the stars for once they're seeing eye to eye this would have been the right moment for them to come to their respective conclusions yeah i wish it was just a moment that they finally understood each other and saw each other's perspective instead of a cheap kiss yeah absolutely agreed but Lo and behold, we find Lorenzo. Dun, dun, dun. You know, I thought it would be so funny if Lorenzo was just some player and was never really in love with her. <laughs> like, it was just a fun summer fling. Which it would be more probable, honestly, that that was the case. I think it would have been a much harsher snap back to reality. And we would have seen that this whole time she sees him with rose-colored glasses. Yeah, exactly. And we also find out that she was 15 when this happened. No wonder they couldn't get married. <laughs> How can you think that that was your one true love? At that age, maybe you can have that impression. But the fact that she still refers to it as love at first sight, it's that continuation of that folly. We never get this moment of realization that I was just a child. And I think we almost get there when Claire has this moment of doubt. Yes. She says, he knew me when I was 15 years old, a girl, that girl's gone. But then <laughs> Lorenzo appears and she forgets everything. Yeah, I really loved that moment where Claire suddenly decides that she doesn't want to see Lorenzo and faces the fact that the 15-year-old is gone. She's no longer that person. But the movie treats it as a pessimistic view. And it's not. That is a good thing <laughs> that you realize that. But they finally reunite. They have like lunch or something with Lorenzo's whole family. And, you know, I really actually really liked that it's 
you know, he's had a family, she's had a family. And again, I don't quite have a problem with them like getting back together or anything, but we actually never get closure on Claire's objective. They just immediately fall into what looks like a romantic relationship. Sophie finally decides that it's time for her to leave. Before she does, Charlie apologized for the kiss. <laughs> but Sophie doesn't really say anything. She doesn't say that she's also sorry. She doesn't take any accountability. That's also my main problem with this interaction is that she takes no responsibility for the kiss. She leaves and Claire encourages Charlie to go after her. My problem with this is that Charlie immediately follows his grandmother's advice. There's no moment of him hemming and hawing or anything. If it was so easy to convince you, then I would imagine he would have some inclination to do it before it was suggested, you know? The motivation is unclear because moments before he's also saying to Sophie that he's sorry about the kiss and, you know, you're engaged and I shouldn't have done that. And it all evaporates the moment Claire is like... Follow your heart. I didn't expect him to actually do it. But no, he goes after her and when he finds where she's staying in Verona, she's with Victor. So, you know, he realizes that he doesn't have a place here and he goes back. Once again, I do like the parallel with the balcony scene. It's Sophie and Victor on the balcony and it's a callback to what Charlie was saying earlier on that if he were Romeo, he wouldn't have just been standing around. If he fell in love, he would have taken action. But when he's confronted with actual reality, there's not much he can do. He realizes that real life situations are not that simple. I do respect the fact that he doesn't stick to what he said earlier and he takes a step back and lets Sophie carry on and, and be in what he assumes is the relationship that she wants to be in. You know, I've just realized, I think my problem with Sophie is that she's so passive. She's such a passive character. It seems all the action is from the people around her and she never decides to do anything and go after something. Except when she's following people. <laughs> <laughs> True. But Sophie ends up, you know, going home with Victor. And this is the moment where I straight up hated Victor right? over at this point. Because she ends up writing the article and it gets published. But Victor doesn't even read it. After he tells her that he didn't read it, he goes back into the restaurant. And there's just this one shot of her standing there by herself. There's just such a strong feeling of loneliness in that one shot. And I just felt so bad for Sophie. Me too. I think that was the moment she realized as well that this isn't gonna work. But she gets a wedding invite for Claire and Lorenzo back in Italy. I like that Claire included her 50-year-old letter in the wedding invitation. Just like Sophie sent her that letter um, as a reminder to follow her heart. She does the same thing with Sophie and I thought that was a nice touch. Now that Sophie's realized that she isn't being treated well by her fiancé, she finally goes to break up with Victor and the way she does it is that she tells him she's going to the wedding alone and Victor immediately catches on that she's breaking up with him and I really love that actually. I love that moment. I love the way it happens. He immediately knows what she's saying and the way she says it as well. I really liked it. I liked it too though I was 
a little surprised that he caught on so quickly because in the previous scenes whenever they've interacted he seemed in his own world not really listening to what she's saying and to me it would have been truer to the character if she had said I'm going alone and he had been like oh that's okay I'm busy at the restaurant anyway so have fun I'll see you later and if he hadn't really heard what she'd said but I do like the subtlety in those lines. I actually think this is the moment I realized that he actually is a bad guy. Well, I realized it earlier, but this is another moment that shows it because it means he's actually been capable of listening to her this whole time. It's just that he keeps faking that preoccupation and that distraction. But this is the moment where, you know, it's the last straw. He obviously can hear it in her voice that she's not going to take it anymore. Even if he, you know, brushes her off and says like, oh yeah, that's fine. I'll see you in a week or whatever. She's going to be like, no, Victor, I'm breaking up with you. Like she's finally standing up for herself and he hears it and he knows he has to do something. He has to actually try to salvage this relationship. If that is the case, that makes me hate him a lot right? more. That makes him 10 times worse. Yeah, that makes him a really bad guy. But I really do like how they carry out this breakup and how their conversation is clearly about the whole relationship that's grown into something they no longer recognize. I especially like that Victor doesn't promise that things will change. The scene makes it sound like the kind of dissolution of a relationship I want to see portrayed in this movie. That it's two people who, at the end of the day, aren't compatible. Except this movie has made Victor out to be a clearly bad guy. So I'm so surprised that this played out the way it did. Pleasantly surprised, if only a little confused, because... This breakup scene is amazing. It's just that it would be more fitting for a relationship that has many faults without a clear bad guy. Yeah, you're right. Victor does try to play the blame game a little, but he doesn't lie to her, doesn't try to manipulate her to keep her. So they come to this mutual conclusion. That I do agree. It does feel out of sync with what we know about their relationship. I think it's a really like well-crafted dialogue in this scene I, I i just i love it so much <laughs> like unfortunately not for this couple but like just this one scene in isolation it's quite something i wish we had seen more of this because they try too hard to make victor the villain imagine if it's just like they realize through the strip that they don't have that much in common and they have more fun separately instead of you know victor actively neglecting her and i think that would have added more nuance to the characters to the story and it would have said a more interesting message about love but anyway i'm glad we got this scene and i'll take what i can get you know yeah they finally get to the wedding claire and lorenzo get married and Sophie sees that Charlie is often nearby this Patricia woman who she remembers was the name of his ex. So she assumes that he's gone back together with her and she's very heartbroken because she expected to, you know, pursue him. I understand, but also I don't think you would be that sad. <laughs> You're at your friend's wedding and she put so much effort into finding Lorenzo and everything. I feel strongly about this, I think because I don't buy her relationship with Charlie or her feelings for Charlie and that's why this is the way I perceive this whole sequence. I think this goes to show that this whole thing wasn't about Claire at all for Sophie. It was more about what we talked about before, the pursuit of one true love and living vicariously through Claire's journey. And now that it's over and... She didn't get what she wanted. Yeah. 
she's just kind of disillusioned and she can't put that aside you know i think it would have been really interesting if this was also like you said the moment she's disillusioned about everything and that heartbreak isn't actually about charlie it's about like the fact that she just broke up with her fiance and she suddenly doesn't have this happy ending that she's dreamed up like she thought she could just run from victor to charlie into a new pair of loving arms in no time and you know get what she wanted and suddenly she realizes that you know the world doesn't orbit around her and this idea of true love and happy endings isn't absolute but <laughs> that's not what happens instead we get this contrived romeo and juliet knockoff sophie finds this random balcony and charlie has followed her i guess he's learned something from sophie <laughs> and before we know it she's up in that balcony yeah charlie asks her like what's wrong and she finally tells him i'm in love with you and you're with somebody else and again i don't think she would be in love with him at this point like she can just say like i have feelings for you it's just it's hard to buy yeah even you know i like you or you're pretty nice i think would be more appropriate given <laughs> the short amount of time they've spent together charlie reveals that it's all a misunderstanding because patricia is actually his cousin it, it just happens that she shares the same name with sex which is such like a weird issue that's kind of shoehorned in there they play it off like it's a twist but it's just weird <laughs> yeah why not like it is patricia but they're not together or something it doesn't have to be like oh there's two people with this name it's like what <laughs> But what Charlie actually does is that he climbs the vines that's running up towards the balcony to go and talk to Sophie. And it's so, like... Cheesy. Yeah, it's really cheesy. And they, you know, they make up and whatever. And suddenly Charlie falls. Because obviously the vines snap. And he just kind of lays prone on the ground. And he doesn't move at all. It doesn't seem like he's able <laughs> to move his body from the neck down. Barely lifts his head. <laughs> yeah, like they kiss and it's so awkward. Why can't he just like sit up and then they kiss and it's a romantic moment? No, it's a really awkward moment where it looks like Charlie's really hurt himself. It looks like she's giving him CPR. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but this is my absurd conclusion that Charlie is henceforth paralyzed. I don't think it's even that absurd because he literally, Sophie asks him, can you move? And he says, only my lips. <laughs> and so he confirms that lips down is not looking good. Oh my god. Poor Sophie. <laughs> Poor Charlie. You know what? Actually, poor Shakespeare. <laughs> He's rolling in his grave. I guess... That's what we can conclude from this movie. It's an insult to his memory. <laughs> and that Victor likes Sophie because her hair reminds him of spaghetti. <laughs> and Victor will be the true love interest in... 50 years. 50 years from now, Sophie is going to reenact Claire's journey and go on a search <laughs> for Victor. So we'll see you then for the sequel. Letters to Juliet. The Revenge of Victor. <laughs> this time it's a personal... <laughs> So my opinions on this movie have changed. I used to love it and now I hate it. I thought I was just like underwhelmed and disappointed, but no, I completely hate it. It infuriates me. It boils my blood and I do not recommend it. I feel like this movie is everything wrong with the way people see romance and relationships. It's not that I don't think people should strive for like lofty romances. It's just that this take on romance, I think is particularly selfish and harmful even. Yes, and harmful. 
and it's also just not fun to watch. The reviews said that it's at least easy to get through. I disagree. I checked out so many times throughout this movie. It's just, I don't recommend it. Yeah, my opinions have also changed. I absolutely do not recommend it now. It doesn't do much of anything except try to make these grand proclamations about love and failing to do so. So no, don't watch this movie. <laughs> Next time, we'll be discussing Monte Carlo. If you have any thoughts to share on the movie, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com so we can share on the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot. Bye.